Greetings, everyone. I am excited to have Oded Zahavi, CEO and co-founder of Mesh Payments on the show today. Oded, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to be yeah. here. Yeah, great to have you. So let's kick this off. Tell us a little bit about your background in SaaS. So uh, in maybe in opposite to a few of the other people you speak, you spoke with before, I'm not a SaaS geek, I'm a payment geek. So yeah. I've been in payments uh, almost as, as long as I can remember myself. Um, among other, I was the one who PayPal uh, brought to start and manage Middle East and Africa for them. And I've launched for them some of the most exciting uh, markets uh, in the region. Um, then I led the, what is in my mind still considered the most successful payment company that ever came out of Tel Aviv called Pioneer, which is now a publicly traded company and, and very successful and maybe the leading company when it comes to cross-border B2B payments. Um, and generally speaking, I'm trying to be as much as possible involved in the broader uh, fintech uh, ecosystem, helping a lot of Israeli founders and not only Israeli founders, fintech founders uh, with their uh, journey. And, um, for the last four years, I'm, I'm, I'm leading Mesh, which is an, an amazing and exciting journey to be in. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, huge space. And yeah, I love that. So you're a payments geek, you know, first, then maybe SaaS. But your start, you know, with founders, sometimes, right, they're technical, they're engineers, they're sales, they're marketing. Where, your, your foundation, where, where does it lie? Was it technical? Was it on the sales side, marketing, business? So I started as a computer science geek. So I, okay. I finished computer science um, in, in Tel Aviv. You know, most of us, we are forced to go uh, to the army before we can go to the university, which is a little bit different. I was one of the fortunate ones that was selected uh, to go and, and uh, learn computer science before the army um, and only then join the army for, uh, for leading technical roles. Um, and that's where I started, and I spent a lot of my early careers in a technical or pseudo-technical worlds. In some stage of your careers, I decided that I need to evolve, and to evolve and to go to business, you need to move into more uh, customer-facing oriented roles, and that's how I moved to sales, technical sales initially, then pure sales, and, and, and in the end of the day, uh, as I mentioned, I was selected I think it's one of my the milestones of my career uh -huh. to start from to incept uh, from zero a business for maybe one of the most successful SaaS companies in the world, uh -huh. um, and and from that from that point everything went wide. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so technical start, you know, then of course progresses from there. So tell us a little bit about Mesh Payments. What does Mesh Payments do? So Mesh Payment helps, helps finance teams to automate um, uh, their uh, finance operation. Uh, we help um, uh, mid-market companies uh, currently in the US and, and, and soon in other markets to orchestrate control and have better visibility of their corporate spend. Initially, we started by a huge pain, which is finance team really hate corporate cards. So we've taken the traditional corporate cards and transitioned it into a modern form factor with a lot of software and a lot of controls and a lot of automation. So companies 
that companies that use mesh and we have really we were fortunate to have board class clients companies like monday.com and sezzle and riskified and sneak uh, that are well-known brands are all orchestrating their corporate spend through the mesh platform okay so corporate so making that corporate card better that purchasing card better uh and then you're saying adding automation to that a lot more visibility into that corporate spend and what are you seeing is this a space it seems like there are quite a few like it's a hot space a lot going on in this corporate card space or making corporate card corporate spend better you know what what are you seeing here is it is it just a, a huge total addressable market to go after at this point? So kind of still early stage as far as going after that, Tam? So in opposite to people that think there is so much noise and there is so much noise in the space, um, I still believe this is so early days for mm -hmm. the space. So to your point, the addressable market is almost infinite. Any number of hundreds of trillions of dollars you will choose will probably represent the market opportunity. And if you choose, many people are uh, hearing about us and some of our biggest competitors. In the end of the day, if you count the market share, or sum the market share of all the new players together, in my perspective, you will not reach more than 2% out of the addressable market. So 98% of the market are still based on legacy platforms, traditional banks, everything that is far from technology driven. Um, and 50% of the clients we reach never heard about any one of the new players in the space. Uh -huh. You know, uh, we are servicing finance teams and finance teams had the tendency to be the, the slowest movers in the market. I think that was changed during COVID. Before COVID, it was all about innovation in marketing, innovation in, in sales, innovation in, in maybe other aspects, COVID mm -hmm. have really shifted the mindset of finance teams uh, because they were forced to become distributed by mm -hmm. force, which mm -hmm. were, they were really against that by uh, definition. And also the fact they needed to service all these new use cases that have been driven by COVID. One of them, by the way, was that they needed to pay for more and more SaaS services compared mm -hmm. to traditional uh, on-premises licenses. Yep. That was one of the key penetration points for us when we started. So um, I believe there is a huge transition of finance teams. Uh, I will say a, a transition of finance teams from the old legacy. Um, that's what I used for so many years to let's look at these new technologies. Let's have better control. Let's Let's change our processes. And that's a shift which will take, in my mind, at least additional three to five years. It requires um, transitions uh, of, of, of people. It requires new breed of finance professionals that are now coming into the space um, in early, um, in, in lower levels and will become the future uh, VP finance and CFOs of these organizations. So it's exciting times for us. Um, it's, it's driving a lot of investments in the space, but more important, it's driving a lot of clients to consider uh, platforms like Match, and, and this is really what, what's important for us.
Yeah, that's that's really exciting. Makes a ton of sense, right? You see a lot of competitors popping up, but huge addressable addressable market. I love that two percent versus ninety eight percent, right? So a lot to go after there. So and you know, finance teams. You, know, I'm a CFO by trade. It's like, yeah, sometimes you're a little slower, but we want to make sure the numbers tie out always. So yeah, I get that. <laughs> but so mesh payments. When was the company founded? So the company found, was founded at the end of 2018, but we were founded with a totally different mission. And as mentioned, when COVID came, we decided that there is, uh, we want to, we couldn't do what we've done before because COVID really changed the mindset of, of, of some of the solutions we've built. So we decided to pivot uh, very quickly. We have a, a very strong team uh, and an amazing technology. We've taken all of that started working with clients and almost three years after that, we are one of the leading players in a fast growing space, which is an amazing place to be in. And, and if you can share, because I think there's a lot of learnings there because that really important, right? Founded end of 2018, but you pivoted, you know, maybe when COVID hit, you said, so what was that different mission? What were you trying to do pre-COVID that you then learned maybe was not the right direction? So pre-COVID, we were trying to solve a pain, which in my mind, it's still a big pain, which is B2B cross-border payments. And we've tried to do that with a sophisticated uh, process that is including partnerships in all these emerging markets. When COVID started, uh, without going back to all the war stories around COVID, uh, most of our partners, if not all of them, have really either disappeared or uh, their business went down dramatically. So we understood that for an early stage startup, we couldn't wait anymore to grow up the business and we need to look for other pains that we can solve. Uh, we were lucky and a little bit smart by identifying some of the trends that led and, and many of the pains that led to the building of the mesh platform and, and, and the rest is history. Yeah, that, that's great, great lesson there. So really you said pre-COVID looking at B2B cross-border payments, but of course, COVID business goes down. You can't wait for your current clients or that ICP to recover, you know, and I, we've got to pivot change. So really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. So now where is where is Mesh Payments located right now? Or where's your HQ and, and your workforce? So Mesh Payment is, is headquartered from New York. Uh, we have a finance, sales, and marketing. Uh, of course, headquartered from New York, but we have a team now all across all across the US and as as many other Israeli founded companies we have R&D and product out of Tel Aviv you can find the best engineers and a lot of uh, fintech talents um, that is maybe the next generation of of all these successful companies like PayPal and Pioneer and others that have brought into the market all these experienced professionals so the R&D, the product teams are in Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. uh, we are building amazing product and amazing technology, but still we are very close to the market, to our clients, and, yep. and all of them are in the US. Okay, all right, headquarters in New York, obviously Tel Aviv presence with the R&D and product teams. And then what, what's your team size today? How many employees, contractors do you have on the team today? So we are 150 employees. Okay. Uh, Around 100 of, of them are technology and, and product, and the rest, as I okay. mentioned, sales, marketing, finance, and, and, and operation. 
Oh, wow. So 100 of the 150 are technologies. So obviously this type of platform requires heavy, heavy dev investment, obviously, with that, with that split. Totally. You know, as I'm sharing with my uh, best friends that works for the biggest banks in, in, in the U.S., uh, the corporate STEM space is predominantly about technology. That's why mm. I don't believe banks will ever be significant players in our space when it comes to what it means to integrate into a sophisticated backend accounting system when it comes to orchestrate workflows these are things that are heavily uh, are very technology intensive and require a very strong and, and adaptive technology because not to not almost any, any two companies doesn't have the same configuration and the same backbone and you need to build a technology that can seamlessly integrate with their existing processes. You're not, you know, historically, a lot of the back office system came to organizations like the, the SAP, the Oracle, and they said, listen, this is how we work. Adapt to us with the modern technology and the modern expectations of, of front office technologies like we, the expectation of the companies that we will adapt to the uh, we will adapt our the, the technology into the processes. Of course, we will improve them, but we won't change everything from scratch. So to do that, you need a lot of technology. You need a lot of uh, flexibility in the technology. And to do that, you need a lot of R&D investment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So tell us anything you want to share about the scale of your company, ARR, revenue ranges, anything you can share there to get a sense of scale for Mesh? So most of our clients are mid-market clients, meaning mm -hmm. 50 to 2,000 employees. We are less focused on the smaller market or smaller clients where the complexity uh, won't benefit the value it can bring. And, and vice versa, we are yet being servicing too many uh, Fortune 500 companies, even though we have conversation lately with them and because many of them are too slow for our sales cycles and they're mm -hmm. Infrastructure is so old, so it will take us a lot of time to integrate. Uh, we've announced that we have crossed the, the $1 billion payment volume run rate, uh, and we are growing very fast, um, almost double digits month over month uh, for the last 12 months. That's one of the reasons why that we've drove to the funding uh, rounds mm -hmm. we've done. But in the end of the day, we service uh, almost more than 1,000 companies and and many of them as i mentioned are uh, mid-market u.s companies with a lot of global presence uh, this is i think there is a lot of excitement in in those finance teams that have now be able to do things that historically have been a huge pain for them i'm, I'm meeting with cfos that have been around for almost 20 years and they are saying listen for me the pain you solve was something that was always one of the key pains when it comes for orchestrating or organizing a finance team. And that's our, it's all over now. Um, and for me, it's, it's a done deal. I cannot believe I will ever go back. And yep. that's really what makes us proud. Yeah, so that's great. That, that leads into my next question about your go-to-market strategy. So you have a mid-market customer focus. You have about a thousand companies right now on the platform and in the mid-market, are there any industries that pop out or is it really any type of company, but just a, a mid-market? And what was that employee size or range that you mentioned for mid-market that you target? So many are defining mid-market differently. 
Yeah. For me, mid-market is somewhere between 50 to 100 to two to 3,000 employees. That's the mm -hmm. mid-market. That's really what influences complexity. There can be very small companies which are generating a lot of revenue, but there is no sophistication or there is no need for a sophisticated orchestration as mm -hmm. the, the, the control as, as we bring to the market and vice versa. There can be huge companies uh, that are not generating enough revenue, but there is a lot of complexity and that's why they will be an ideal client um, yeah. for us. Um, and, and, and as I mentioned, what we, of course, like any, many of the other spaces, um, the, techs, the tech category is the early adopters. So mm -hmm. a lot of the brand names I mentioned are by definition world-class uh, world brands on the technology space, but you will be surprised how many of the non-tech companies are already adopting mm -hmm. the te technologies like we bring into the market and the complexity there is as big, sometimes even bigger than the well-known brands, technology brands. So when we say we service monday.com, almost anybody knows who is monday.com. But we can, I can give you names of much more complicated and much more challenging companies that doesn't have any linkage to technology, but nobody will, uh, will, will ever yeah. hear about them. Um, and, and for us, we treat them all the same. Yeah. And then so mid-market focus, complexity helps with that sale. And then the persona that you sell into, is it that CFO? It's the finance function that you're trying to reach out to, to, to prospect? So we, we position ourselves as, as the one who sits in the middle between the finance team, the employees, and the vendors. And of course, the one we are in a continuous conflict because from one hand, the one who will decide if to use us or not are the finance team. In smaller companies, it might be the CFO. In, in, a, in bigger companies, it might be one level down, maybe mm -hmm. director of finance, head of controlling, mm -hmm. um, and so on and so forth. But we are in a constant conflict because a lot of what we do delight the employees. Mm -hmm. and, and in one hand, we need to deliver a product which have a lot of sophistication and complexity that will be chosen by a finance team. But on the same breath, we need to bring a product which is very simple and very user-friendly because the, many of the users of the product are the employees that are not looking for any complexity. So everything we develop, everything we design, by definition, need to go and, and handle that conflict. And this is a huge challenge. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why we are so successful that we have taken that challenge and anything that by design, when we look at a new functionality, a new feature, we are trying to combine um, that. Um, and that's where the magic starts. Yeah, that's great. And then, so you recently raised a Series B, a Series B for fifty million. How much capital have you raised to date? So we recently raised a Series C, sixty million dollars. Oh. That was a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. Just recently. Uh, I, I think time, time flies when you have yeah. fun. So um, from the one hundred twenty-three million that we raised totally, we raised uh, one hundred and ten out of it in the last twelve months. Fifty end of last year and 60 few few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Um, um, and the reason for that, there are a few reasons why we decided to raise. First of mm -hmm. all, because in opposite to maybe other uh, products, our product is even more important when it, in a, it's a purely recession-proof product. Meaning we have been 
growing very fast when everything was great and there was a lot of growth, but we are even getting more clients because a lot of our services are relevant for companies that need to reduce the force. They need to control more their spend. They need to identify places they can save more money. And this is more or less now, it's true for almost any company mm -hmm. on the planet. And second, in the end of the day, um, we've been growing very fast, uh, even though it's not, a, it's not a secret that companies are spending less now and, and our revenue is generated mostly by companies' spends. The pace of, of, of acquisition of new clients has become higher and higher. So it's mm -hmm. compensate on the reduction in the, in the company spend and, and our, our uh, investors have been uh, supporting enough to say, you know what, that's the time to double down not to double down on spend, but to double down uh, on the activities and, and the market share we want to gain. Add to that the fact that we are servicing finance people, which trust is maybe the first factor when they um, analyze or uh, evaluate a product. We, they are more than ever asking us to, they're trying to make sure that we have the, uh, we will be here for a long time. And that's why that they are not, going to have a need to switch us, which is something that is going to happen to many of these smaller service providers that have not raised uh, quickly enough um, as fintech is very expensive to operate. So we've came back to our existing client base and say, listen, relax. Okay, we are here to stay. We are here to invest even more uh, and solve even more of your pains. And, and, and that's great. So yeah, so 123 million raised to date, 60 million Series C, Series B of 50. So yeah, tell me a little, where are you deploying that capital? It sounds like you said double down on market share. So are you putting a lot of this capital into the sales and marketing function? And I assume also on the, on the engineering team? Yeah, so you will be surprised that in opposite to 2021, 2021 and 22 are totally different years. Okay, mm -hmm. 2021 was all about marketing spends, hiring as many people as you can, doing all the stuff which uh, we can discuss but are not relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. 2022 is about really become very conservative in the way you spend, make sure you invest in places that will benefit the future of the company and mm -hmm. the bring value to your customers. So we are continuing as we've done before to invest in R&D, that's a key investment for us, but on top of that, in a conservative way, we are making sure we have the right support, the right operation, the right sales, while we have enough runway uh, to handle the economic uh, situation, which nobody really knows how long uh -huh. it takes. So it might be that in, in a quarter or two, everything will uh, recover and, and people will continue raising uh, like they've done before. I, not sure that will be or the chances it will happen are in my mind low and that's why we have enough cash uh, to overcome any crisis as almost as long as it takes okay yeah always good feeling to have and so you mentioned you know getting back to the raise and just those triggers and milestones you mentioned that right recession proof product even if the market economy is down still a products that that is needed uh anything else you know, that you can help founders with, because that's always sometimes a struggle of like, 
those signals, those milestones, what did you see that said, hey, yeah, it's time for another raise and let's go after 60 million Series C. Anything else that you want to add there? So I think the lesson, one of the lessons for me were, is that the fact that 2021 was a relatively surreal year. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody raised a lot of money in relatively surreal multipliers compared to the size of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, entrepreneurs have become greedy. A billion dollar valuation has become almost nothing. Uh, and in the old day, we were a little bit, uh, too many people have got too much con- confused mm-hmm. and we were f- lucky and, and, and in some ways smart that we didn't follow that trend even in 2021. So mm-hmm. even in 2021, we were very transparent with our uh, investors on our progress. We were very conservative in the multipliers we requested when we raised even in mm-hmm. 2021 and we've really been focused on growth, which is sustainable and just just throwing marketing money uh, to create um, a volume that is not sustainable. And yeah. that's why when we came in 2022, uh, as we've grown, as we continue to communicate to our investors how well we are doing and how, what is the potential in the business we are building, and we ask them to support us uh, but without making them feel that the multipliers will require us to get into places which might not happen in the foreseeable future. The combination of that relationships and the fact that we behave that way when things are being different than today, I think that's one of the reasons that led them to decide or to approach us and, and, and support us in these very complex times. Um, and I think that's the lesson. It's easier said than done. And it's even mm-hmm. easier now because now you don't have an alternative. Even if you yeah. ask for a surreal valuation or surreal multiplier, nobody will listen. Um, so I think some of these anomalies have been, will be corrected, uh, by definition. Uh, but I think the winners will come from the ones, uh, that will behave in, in a very modest and conservative way. And we were we are very fortunate uh, to be in that place. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And so, just just raise the Series C. And so, any lessons that you'd like to share with other SaaS founders in the audience on fundraising? If you look and and think back, it's like, gosh, I wish I could do that over. That was really painful. Any lessons that you'd like to share with with the audience on fundraising? So, in the end of the day. Fundraising, it's a combination of, 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 of social and relationships, even in any stage. And as I mentioned, if you've been, uh, if you've been um, communicating with your investors and with the investment community uh, over time, they know what to expect and they, it will enable them to evaluate you when the time comes in, a, in the right way. The second thing I will say, and this is even more amplified today, um, in the end of the day, there may be the biggest source for investors to decide uh, on what to invest or who will be the winner is their portfolio companies. So we've been fortunate to service many of the largest VCs portfolio companies and not only service them to get really strong and positive feedback. 
So a lot of the VCs that have uh, reached us, uh, the conversation started by, I just met one of my portfolio company and they were really talking highly about you. They are really benefiting the product. That's a really great position to be in. Um, and it's really changes the dynamics of the conversation into a different level. Yeah, that I love that because you said a lot of your early adopters are tech companies and probably a lot of those have VC investment. You've done a great job with your customers who are VC invested and the VCs here and like, hey, who's Mesh Payments? And I guess then that, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, really. Listen, really we, we are very uh, customer focused. Um, in the end of the day, for a startup company, um, in my mind, we will do above and beyond. That's one of our strengths to make, to make our clients happy. Uh, that's what is expected. That is one of the differentiators we have, especially when we compete with banks and other legacy uh, vendors that have been known to giving a bad service. So it's a lot about the technology on the FinTech side, but it's a lot about the financial services. Too many companies in the FinTech space think that they can only about the technology. But from the other end, there are also a lot of companies that are building a financial service without a, a, substance, a, a strong technology mm -hmm. infrastructure. And the combination of the both, that's what will uh, define the winners. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So as we wrap up here, tell us what's next for Mesh? What gets you excited about the future right now? So really what excites me is that um, if there is the, like the time has come for, for the disruption of the space um, and we have done a lot of work to get into leadership position. Uh, we were just selected at one of the uh, FinTech 250 list in, 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 uh, from CB Insight. We are getting all these um, uh, feedbacks from clients. And as I mentioned, because we are so early days, it's in my mind really come back to us and to our execution. And, and that's what we are doing now. We are focusing on what will be the next pains that our clients will benefit. Um, to your question, uh, one of the things that happens during the last two years is that if we look back two years ago, TNE was not an issue. Um, and it will have it help us to focus on other spaces like, as I mentioned, SAS, but now TNE is back in a different way, by the way. It's not about companies trying to, to sign with the travel agencies and try to force employees to use a specific platform. It's not about few employees that are traveling a lot. It's about so many employees in the organization that need to travel less because they need an offside, because they want to meet a client once a year. And we are building a lot of technology and partnerships to fuel that. And I think 2023 will redefine the way uh, companies are traveling and controlling um, uh, their travel spend. So that's a huge thing for us. And also, as usual, the world is becoming global. Mm -hmm. That brings a lot of new challenges for finance teams. Um, there again, we can talk forever about yeah. as somebody that has been involved in the global payment space for so many years and build the global payment infrastructure from day one. 
there is so many challenges and so many pains, and we have been really focused on solving them one by one. So you should expect a lot of exciting news from us in the coming few months. Well, that's great to hear. Well, Dad, I really appreciate you sharing your story, your background, payments geek, self-described, and now leading Mesh through these raises and a lot of growth, huge TAM to go after. Uh, so really appreciate your time. And if, if the listeners would like to learn more about Mesh online, where, where should we send them to find out more information? So www.meshpayments.com. Um, that's the probably uh, the entry point to to learn about what we do. But we try to share a lot of content about the space, about what we do. Um, as I mentioned, I always say to finance team, listen, we are a superior product. But in my mind, we are in a mission to transform the way you operate. Mm-hmm. So just act, just choose the best platform that fits your needs. Um, And we are fighting complacency and inertia more than anything. Mm -hmm. And my mission is really about that, that in two years from now, when we'll speak again, it will be obvious that every finance person should use a next generation uh, corporate spend platform. Great. Yeah, I definitely love to talk again down the road, see what's happening at Mesh Payments. So if you'd like to learn more about Mesh Payments, check them out at meshpayments.com. And again, Oded, really appreciate you sharing your experience today with, with, uh, with our audience. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks a lot.